mouth, the brain side to the blind man. It's down to the left child. We will survive. It is time to build in this. Swimming through the water, surviving on like a rebel fish. Journalist, specialist, predator and survivalist. Spinning heaven, fire from his lips. Burn the driver. to time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4.6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, but we as a people We'll turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. All that getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your hosts, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live audio at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, it's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Catch the live stream there. Also, we're streaming at a bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free radio app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream your program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, it's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you can type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you'll always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs. On Time for an Awakening Media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share the information with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, to make that one of your favorites, put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here on this uh, Sunday evening edition of Time for an Awakening, the Sunday, September 3rd edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation and uh, coming back to update our listening audience is activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association out of Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Thomas Burrell will be joining us to give our listeners an update 
on the organized meetings sponsored by the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association for the farm, black farmers and landowners around the Mason, Tennessee, and the Blue Oval Project. You'll get valuable information tonight from uh, Mr. Burrell, who is back, back rejoining us on the program. And we'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked, suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors, or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a 
compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm, um, you know, enjoying uh, just the, the the moment, and 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 I'm. I have to say, I'm I'm somewhat excited. Hopefully, with Mr. Burrell and the uh, landowners in 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 Memphis um, of the possible opportunity, and looking forward to trying to flush out how um, do we take advantage and and for them take advantage in an economic way, and for us and being able to report, you know, effectively uh, what's going on. So it's, um, I'm I'm looking forward to the exchange. Yeah, you know, it should be uh, interesting. Last time uh, Mr. Burrell was with us on the program, uh, he was talking about uh, organizing these meetings, Richard, if you remember. Right. But since then, I think they've had a series of three meetings, probably going on the fourth. So things have been building. The uh, momentum has been building. Before we get, before we bring him on, I'd like to play a clip from a, a published uh, uh, news report in relation to uh, what was going on, and you'll hear the voice of uh, our guest this evening and a another farmer who I'm quite sure is probably involved with him. But uh, let's let's play this for our listening audience, and then we're going to bring on our guest for this evening. Uh, if I can find this, yeah, I think this is it. Here it is. Let's turn now to Ford's Blue Oval City. It's a billion-dollar project bringing 6,000 jobs to Tennessee. But in order for this plant to be built, the company is going to need some land. But some are worried that they may have to give up their land. Our Lakita Johnson had the opportunity to speak with two black farmers who are actually excited about the opportunity and the possibilities ahead. Ford has taken us out of the cotton business, the cotton industry, and put us in the automobile industry, depending on how we look at these opportunities. Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association President Thomas Burrell says the goal isn't to sell his land, but to develop it. We want to now make sure that our land, our resources, the land from our members, will lend itself to be a part of this boom. The first step is making sure the land is in 
Incorporated, something that Terrence Cannon knows all about. He's a second-generation farmer, and his father bought 100 acres of land south of I-40. He paid it off within five years and then bought this land that you see. It's a part of a family incorporation, so they can take advantage of the tax and financial benefits that come from governing the land as a business. Right now, soybeans are growing here, but Cannon says when the right opportunity comes along, they are prepared to pivot. It was my father's dream, as well as my late brother, Dr. Jesse Cannon, Jr., to have the land incorporated because they saw this day coming years ago. Now it is upon us. All of my adjacent neighbors to this piece of property, we are collaborating and we're cooperating. They've had conversations about developing their land to meet the future needs of the automotive industry and other companies. We want to look at what they need and develop our properties centered around the growth of the electromotive vehicle plant. So that is basically why we want to collaborate. That is why we want to cooperate. And it's why the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association is having a free conference on Monday at Greater Fredonia Baptist Church in Mason, Tennessee, to educate other people about their opportunities and their rights. Historically, in our community, we own still about four to five million acres of land. That is roughly the equivalent of 25 to 40 billion dollars with a B. Most of that land is paid for. Hope it all works out for them. The organization has advocated for black farmers and landowners for more than 25 years. You can go and learn about how you can make your land work for you and create generational wealth. The conference starts at 11 a.m. this morning at Greater Fredonia Baptist Church in Mason, Tennessee. The voice you heard in that clip, uh, one of the voices that you heard speaking was the voice of our guest this evening. Welcome back to the program, activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association out of Memphis, Tennessee. Mr. Thomas Burrell is with us. Mr. Burrell, can you hear me? Yes, Brother Elliot and to Brother Richard, how are you this afternoon? Uh, uh, great. Thanks for being with us, sir. Ms. Morell, listen, we played the clip uh, of you and the, the other farmer, and I'm quite sure he's probably involved with you uh, or, with yes. the, or the Black Farmers uh, Agriculturalist Organization. Um, if our listening audience remember, when you were on with us, maybe it was uh, I think it was a little over two months ago now, you was talking about organizing these meetings. Since then, I think you've had a series of three meetings, probably going on the fourth. Uh, let our listening audience know about uh, how the meetings have been going, uh, the the farmers and landowners that are getting involved, because everybody that's a landowner is not necessarily a farmer. But talk about the uh, people that are landowners and farmers that are getting involved and understand, and even if they don't understand the idea of incorporating, how this process is going uh, for our people down there around uh, the Blue Oval area. Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, thank you. That's an excellent question. We appreciate you for allowing the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association 
and it's over 20,000 members throughout the United States to be able to have a platform in explaining one of the most serious, particularly economic development opportunities that is available to the African-American community throughout this country. However, the focal point right now, uh, gentlemen, is, or at least the impetus behind our asking members to incorporate in order to collaborate is a project that is being launched by three agencies. And it's important to understand this. It is A, the Ford Motor Corporation, B, the state of Tennessee, and C, the United States government, particularly the Energy Department, which has made, uh, well, let me see, A, Ford has invested the largest or made the largest investment in its history in an assembly plant in Haywood County, Tennessee, a little town called Stanton, Tennessee. Secondly, or B, the state of Tennessee has made the largest investment in terms of uh, providing assistance to Ford Motor Company. And since we held these meetings, uh, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, the United States government, the Department of Energy, has made one of the largest loans to a corporation in the United States history, and that is a $9.2 billion loan to Ford Motor Company. So the fact that we have a corporation, a state agency, and the United States government should lend credibility to the fact that this government, rightly or wrongly, is behind the development of the electric vehicle opportunity in this country. However, when we look back at the last 30 years, gentlemen, we will see that approximately over 15 major automobile corporations are moving south, uh, whether it's in Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Georgia, North and South Carolina. You have now the Mercedes-Benz plant. You have Hyundai, Toyota, General Motors, Ford, Nissan moving south. Now, why is this important for the African-American farmers and landowners? Gentlemen, they are moving smack dab in the backyard where African-Americans own the majority of land that they have uh, been in possession of since the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1866. So we are holding meetings around the country, and this Fort Motor plant is more or less the spirit that it's the wake-up call uh, that you all, the phrase that you're using, to say, wait a minute, it's time for us now. How do we take advantage of multi-billion with the B dollar operations? We own land, as we say in the farming community, gentlemen, right across the fence from Ford, right across the fence from Toyota, right across the fence from Mercedes-Benz. However, there is a problem in our community the way that we own land. 
We own land that is basically what is referred to as, among other things, air property. That is to say someone died, the original owner died, but without a will. The respective states, for the most part, that they reside in when they were alive or when they passed away will call that situation they died in test state. That is to say now the property is in question or the owners are in question. The owners can be multiple owners, and what most state agencies will say that until these owners are identified, this property will remain unincorporated. And just real quickly again, uh, if you're driving through the rural or in any state and you see a sign that says Swartz Creek, Swartz Creek may be a town, but it's unincorporated. That is to say there is no governing body. And unfortunately, 99% of the land that we own in North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, so forth, so on, and so up to, gentlemen, is basically unincorporated. And if the land is unincorporated, it's going to be difficult to collaborate with another corporation. And that's basically what we have been talking about here for the last several months. Uh, Mr. Burrell, let me let me read something here from a published report um, that uh, I'm quite sure uh, Terrence Cannon, he's probably involved with uh, uh, with you in the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association. He made a statement. Yes, definitely. He made a statement here. I want to read for our listening audience, um, and I'm going to share some demographics, and then I'm going to pass the mic to Brother Richard. But let me read this, what he said, because it goes to what you're saying. And this is uh, in a published report that was in the um, Tennessee Tribune. It says, if we as black landowners incorporate our land, then we can position ourselves to where we can collaborate. We can collaborate as corporations working together, says Terrence Cannon. There was a group of Caucasian farmers that came together and collaborated. Uh, Joe said, I'm going to kick in 500 acres. Billy over here says, I'm going to kick in 1,000 acres. You move 1,000 acres to 2,000 and to 3,000 acres. Now you got 4,000 acre plot through collaboration. Mayor Franklin Smith, I think at the time, was helping to spearhead this for Caucasian farmers. They took the land that those farmers had collaborated and put together through the map that you see. Then they went to Nashville, and they got with the governor. The governor said, okay, we'll purchase that land, 10000 per acre or something of that nature, and then we'll go to the market as a mega site. They got rich. They became instant millionaires because they collaborated. We can have a paradigm shift, change our mindset, start collaborating as African-American landowners and gain wealth. So that goes to what you're saying. That initial plot, because you explained before that Ford, the original Ford Motor Plant in outside of Detroit was 2,000 acres. I think you said on the program last time, this project, uh, the Blue Oval City, is 4,000 acres. It's double the size of Detroit plant. 
But uh, according to uh, one of your brethren in the organization, Terrence Cannon, this was an initial uh, 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 strategy by Caucasian farmers to get that initial 4,000 land plot was to collaborate their land together. Is this what what happened, uh, uh, Mr. Burrell? You are quite right. And Brother Terrence, uh, as we used to say in church, flesh and blood, then explain that to him. You talk about a paradigm shift. Uh, He was right on the money. And what we are saying is the unsung heroes to what we refer to now as the largest assembly automobile plant in the country, this Ford mega site is, and I mentioned how thirdly the federal government has gotten involved and how secondly the state of Tennessee has gotten involved and originally Ford got involved. Well, I left out probably the most important group, and that's the group that you're talking about, and that is the farmers, the unsung heroes, are the landowners and farmers, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, who came together and pooled their respective resource together to create this mega site. This site is located on 4,100 acres. And when we talk about what Henry Ford did back in 1920, when he bought the River Rouge facility in Detroit, it was 2,000 acres. At that time, they made all the cars, they made farm equipment, they made trucks, they made buses. Ford had a foundry on this site in South Detroit or River Rouge, Detroit, and Dearborn. Now this facility, as you just aptly stated, Rich, is twice as large. But the key takeaway here is how did it get started? There's an old phrase I've heard, I'm sure you've heard it, if you build it, they will come. These white farmers pooled their resources. They didn't own 4,000 acres. <laughs> this one, as Tannen said, Billy had 200, Frank had 500, Joe had 600. They collaborated. But first and foremost, what is important is that land was incorporated. In other words, pooling those parcels of pieces together would have been of no avail if they had been unincorporated, if it had been air property, because then the state would not have been interested, whether it's the state of Tennessee, the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Michigan, because there would have been clouds and questions on the deed. This is the key phrase. Most of the land that is owned by African-Americans, farmland or otherwise, uh, particularly farmland, is owned, as we said, unincorporatedly or air property. That is to say there's a defect and a cloud. Ford, General Motors, Nissan, Toyota is not going to use a defective part to put on their automobiles. And at the same time, no individual is going to collaborate with a person or purchase real estate from a person with a defect on the title if they can help it. So, yes, the takeaway here is how these individuals, these original white farmers, were able to pool their resources, collaborated, and here again now we have the largest assembly plant in the history of this country as a result of their collaboration.
before I pass it to Brother Richard, let me read uh, some of this makeup here uh, to, to give our listening audience the, the flavor of what we're talking about. Uh, this Blue Oval City is going to be located in Haywood County, Tennessee. Now, according to uh, statistics that I've read, uh, the racial uh, makeup of Haywood County is 51% black. The largest city in Haywood County is Brownsville, which, according to the stats, is 67, 65% black. Ripley, Tennessee, which is a town in that area surrounding Blue Oval City, 54% black. Nutbush, Tennessee, which uh, Tina Turner was from, 59% black. Tipton County, which is right there in near Blue Oval City, Mason, Tennessee, is 72% black. And Covington is 52% black. So you're talking about black landowners all around this project. Brother Richard? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the, I'm glad you did that, Elliot, because that's one of the visualizations if we could, um, um, Brother Mason, um, Brother Burrow, if we could kind of pick, because you said that the white landowners, the 4,000 acres that they incorporated, is kind of like the point zero for the Ford plant. And now um, the process of bringing the black uh, landowners together, some are just landowners, some are farmers with land, or land, you know, farmers with land, and bringing them together. Is that land in proximity to, uh, if you may, if if it's okay for me to use ground zero in relationship to around the four thousand acres? As I said, the answer to your question, the short answer is yes, yes, and yes. You may have heard me say uh, during my introductory statement, the land is right literally across the fence. This property was purchased the 4,000 acres in predominantly African-American, an African-American community. Whereas Mm -hmm. Mother Elliot just stated that the area, Haywood, these are predominantly in terms of uh, statistics, statistics, uh, a predominantly African-American community. Now, what is important to realize, in part at least, these are the same areas where black folk, when they migrated to Detroit, as it were, to Philadelphia and New York and Chicago and L.A., LA, they literally left the cotton fields there in Tennessee or the tobacco farms in North Carolina and moved to Detroit. Now... 60, 70 years later, Detroit, at least through Ford Motor Company, has moved on the very farms in the very areas that black folk were picking cotton and chopping cotton 60 and 70 years ago. That's why you heard me say the Ford Motor Plant now has taken us out of the cotton business and put us in the car business. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are plants uh, in North Carolina, South Carolina, where people were growing tobacco and peanuts. And now they are potentially in an industry where generational wealth is created at a higher rate of speed. The automobile industry, the tech, technology industry, are two of the greatest sources of wealth 
and wealth creation in this country. So what we're simply saying now, and going back to <clears throat> Brother Elliot's phrase and to Brother Terrence Cannon's phrase, there is a paradigm shift now. We're going to have to think outside of the box. But, Richard, to your point, yes, they have literally moved across the fence. But when you see that 4,000 acres, it is basically the result of the white land owners whose property was already incorporated. Mm-hmm. So why didn't they? Now, there may, will be arguments to say, well, they didn't want to include black folk. That may be the case. But in this particular case, we know that they didn't include a lot of the black landowners, Richard, right across the fence is because those black farms were owned as air property and unincorporated and would not have been available to be attached, for the lack of a better phrase, to the 4,000 acres in question. And, and, and I hope y'all give me a little time because y'all, y'all exciting me in the sense of, as you say, not just the paradigm shift, but uh, um, what we're looking at, and, and we, we kind of explore this at different with different people, guests we have, is that um, the possibility of a black economy uh, once again being controlled by black people, um, regardless of whatever, um, and, and I say the whatever to the four thousand. I don't even want to deal with them and and that and that shenanigans. But the 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 point of where we are right now. Um, but first, because I think it's a political question that we black people should emphasize. If I if I got this right, you said the U.S. government through the Department of Energy provided or uh, or did you say a two point billion two point a nine point two billion dollar Loan to Ford. Am I precisely right? The the Biden administration announced it was approximately June the twenty fifth that it was through uh, it's the uh, through the Department of Energy has made a nine point two billion dollar loan to Ford. Ford has already, and the state of Tennessee had already invested five. Point six billion. So now these projects are over eleven billion dollars, brother Richard. So mm-hmm. yes, that says and speaks volumes about how not only the corporate America, the state government, but now the federal government uh, is also investing with those individuals. As we said, if you build it. They will come. Now, which goes back to our original argument, this project is the result of somebody pooling, collaborating their resources, which were incorporated, and now they can collaborate with corporations, state governments, and federal governments. So, yeah, to your point, this is a paradigm shift. This is an opportunity it's a wake-up call for the African-American community who owns land now still in Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, to do the exact same thing. We still have 5 million acres left, Richard, of the 20 million acres that we've lost. Right. So we are saying, uh, and unfortunately, the 5 million acres that we own has been paid for. It's like having... 25 to $40 billion 
locked up in a vault that we don't have access to. And that's basically the the sad part about this. But yes. Uh, and the reason why I think that was so important to raise because, um, Elliot, I would like, yes, they gave it to, it's a loan to Ford, but it's federal money. Therefore, um, um, black Americans as citizens should provide oversight in relationship to how Ford directs and develops and in its cooperation spend that money in relationship to the black community, black farmers, the black landowners that live in that area. I mean, it's, it's a political issue because, you know, we shouldn't look at just because they did it. We just watch. We have a political obligation, especially because of the way the federal government has treated black farmers to be more diligent politically on how this is done. But let me get to, to this point um, in relationship to the air property. Um, so from what I understand about this air property of, that you're, you're communicating, it would require the landowners, and I understand the corporation, but I want to get to the air property, because those members who are named or family members in relationship to that property, they have to assemble first. Is that would that be a fair assessment? Fair I'm saying, they have to be identified and then come and take ownership in order to cooperate. They have to be precisely okay. So that means they could be anywhere right now in the north, in the Midwest, in the West, and they should be hearing this um, call right now to go back home and take care of their business. Precisely, brother. I think that's important. in other words, when when they when grandma died or grandpa died 50, 60, 100 years ago, now we can assume probably necessarily that the children are, are, are deceased. So now we're kind of like rings around a tree. We're dealing with basically grandchildren now in the third ring. Okay, mm-hmm. the original owner, Uncle, I mean Granddaddy Joe, and Aunt Mary died in the 40s. They had 100 acres in North Carolina. They had 200 acres in South Carolina. They had 500 acres in Alabama. They died, unfortunately, without a will, to your point, Richard. And the children, for whatever reason in this community, did not want to talk about this. This subject was taboo. Now you're dealing with the third ring, which would be grandchildren. That would be most of us on the phone today. We now have to go back and correct this problem. And the way we do that, among other things, Richard, to your point, is we have to identify our cousins who now live in Philadelphia, New York, and Chicago, Miami, and L.A. and said, hey, guys, we have to come together and talk because then we have to identify a phrase that is used in the air property industry called we don't own the farm. We now own an undivided fractional interest in the farm. Mm. If my daddy, if there were eight children, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want to turn into a math class, then my dad would have a one-eighth interest. And if he had five children, that means we have a one-fortieth interest. So now we've got to allocate my cousins, my second cousins, 
and say to do what you just said, Richard, we got to come together so we can now transfer our undivided fractional interest from an unincorporated track of land to a corporate. If my daddy's last name was Doe, if his first name was John Doe, then we're going to create the Doe Corporation. And I will transfer my 132nd, my 164th interest from the air property of John Doe to the new corporation, John Doe LLC. And when we then add up all of these other individuals' interests, we can now go to court, gentlemen, and to the listeners, and have the court to either probate and transfer that property from an unincorporated entity to a corporate entity. Then and only then will we be able to get loans from banks to build hotels and restaurants and other ancillary and collateral opportunities that are going to be going to be inherent as corporate America moves south. And on this round, if I if I may ask um, uh, um, this last question, you know. Um, um, and we, because we know in business and, and the way, as you said, that this here, even this, and I'm just focusing on the federal um, loan to four that just happened, things start to move fast. Um, to your estimation, what is the, you know, the framework we have in order to make at least that first step moving from, un, you know, moving towards this undivided fractional interest corporation in your estimation how fast should we be moving at present well keep in mind we should move yesterday yesteryear (laughs) african americans started purchasing land after the passage of the civil rights act of 1866 so we still we were we were already managing farms for white america for the plantation owner now we started to purchase now, but to your point, how soon should we start? We should not have allowed this to happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. There are reports, I think there's a study there at the University of Boston that says African-Americans, and it's easy, to, it's very credible, the African-American community has lost over $320 billion in equity because of this air property. Now, as I said, we still have about 5 million acres. We own about 20 million acres in 1910. We've lost about 15. So we still have about 5 million collectively from the Carolinas to Virginia to Texas. Now what we're saying is that 25 to $40 billion is, is, is locked up in, let's just say, a vault. The vault now is called our property. How do we extricate? How do we disentangle? How do we now take advantage of this $40 billion? We have to be able to create this paradigm shift. And to your point, Richard, when do we need to start? Well, at least we've been talking about it for the last 50 or so years, but it's been a taboo subject. Mm. I can recall my uncle saying, no, we don't want to talk about this. I heard other families, for whatever reason, we didn't want to talk about it. We're at the point now, and one of the questions that we ask our listeners or members when we go to a meeting, do you love your grandchildren? And everybody's going to say, yeah. Then we respond, don't leave this problem to them. Let's fix this problem today. 
you go home. Call your cousin in Connecticut. Call your cousin in Baltimore. Call your cousin in L.A. and say, hey, cuz, we got a problem, but we've got an opportunity. It's time for us now to not only talk about this problem, but to solve this problem so we can create generational wealth for our grandchildren. So the starting point is now, Brother Richard. Hmm. Thank you. Let me say let me say this, and, and, and this this is related to the subject, but it's it's a personal issue, but it directly goes to what you're talking about, Mister Burrell. I had a, I have a good friend of mine; his mother passed, and he came back for the funeral. He lives in L.A. and he went back home. This was a couple months ago when I saw him at the, and I've been knowing him for decades. Uh, his father is ninety. His mother was. She was 91. She was a little bit older than dad. Uh, now, this is two months ago. I called him last week just to see how he was doing, just to check up on things. And now I've been knowing him for decades, but I never knew that they owned property in Mississippi. He was talking about, he said, yeah, I was telling my dad that, you know, listen, Pop, you're 90 and uh, you're living by yourself because he's living by himself. He's very independent. He said, you know, we're going to have to start kind of getting things in order, you know, uh, you know, just in case something happens. And he said, you know, my dad owns 300 acres in Mississippi. I said, what? I, I didn't know that. I said, you've been down there? He said, well, I was down there once when I was a teenager. But he said uh, his father. Now, keep in mind that his dad is 90. He said his father left him and his sisters and brothers to land. It was seven of them. Now it's only three left. His dad is 90, his, his one aunt is 88, and the other one's 86. And they have children. But I was asking my friend, I said, well, whose name is the property in? He said, well, you know, they didn't really never want to talk about it. I think it's in my dad's name because he pays all the taxes. <laughs> I said, well, that's, uh, that's not necessarily true. I said, it might still be in your grandfather's name who died over 60 years ago. And you are quite correct, not to cut you off, but you are absolutely correct. Mm. It is still in the name of the person who deceased. As long as you pay the taxes, the law, particularly in most states, will leave that property in the known, the last known owner. Mm. Who was the last known owner? I'm assuming in this case it was his granddad. Yes. So the state doesn't know that his father is an heir. The state didn't know that his other three sisters, and the state is not going to get involved. So as long as they pay the taxes, it will remain in the name of the original owner or in the name of who owned the land at the time of his demise. So what you're saying, if just say, for example, some type of business opportunity arise where he can do something with that 300 acres, he can't do it because it's a tangled or murky property is what you're saying. Precisely. Let's say that the value of that 300 acres, let's use the same $10,000 that these guys sold the land in Tennessee for. You're talking almost $3 million in property. But it's $3 million when I said it's like money in a vault. It is $3 million in value. And you can probably assume that it's paid for because if it's been in the land, if the land has been in the family for 50 years, if there was a 30-year mortgage, it was paid for 20 years ago. 
So now somebody pays the taxes. The somebody in your particular case, your example, is his father. But that doesn't mean his father has established his ownership. So what your friend, and this is a perfect example, is it assumes now that your friend is that third generation. Yes. So he has uncles and aunts who are deceased. So what he has to do is now call his other first cousins and say, hey, cuz, we've got this property in Mississippi. I live in L.A. You may now live in Chicago, and you may live in Philadelphia, but the land, this $3 million in equity is in Mississippi, but there's nothing we can do with it financially until we get it out of this air property scenario. Perfect example. (laughs) Now, Ms. Morell, listen, you, you, you're down in the Memphis area, so you realize uh, what the problem is as far as a lot of our landowners down there. Is it difficult to uh, take property from a tangled title, so to speak, into something uh, uh, where it can be utilized, or, is it, or does it just take family cooperation, or is it more involved? Now, and I... I the answer to your question is yes, yes, and yes again. It's a little bit more involved. It's disentangled. But the question is, how did we lose the 15 million acres? We own originally about 20 million. Remember I said we've lost about 15, and that about is about 300 billion. Guess how we lost it? Somebody, an unscrupulous investor, it doesn't have to be unscrupulous, purchased one of those fractional interests, one of those one-thirtieth. 148 and then they went into court and asked the court to have their recently purchased interest partitioned and basically there are two ways to partition i'm not an attorney but i've I've been doing this for about 30 years uh partition involved the court will say well we the partition in kind that is to say if you own a 132nd interest we will carve your piece out, but that's almost impractical to do because if you own the land as an undivided fractional interest, key phrase, you don't own one-tenth of 100 acres or 10 acres. You own one-tenth of every tree, one-tenth of the back, one-tenth of the front. So then the local courts will say, hint, hint, it's easier to divide the property at a sale and give you your 132nd interest in money than it is in land. But now guess who's going to be the number one bidder at the courthouse when it's sold? It will not be African-Americans. It will be somebody else from the other community, and they will pick up that property as what we refer to it as a fire sale. And that's how we lost the 15 million acres. And that's how we lost 320 billion because we were not able to purchase our own property back. First and foremost, if it was unincorporated, if it was our property, no bank will give us a line of credit. So Mm -hmm. when the remaining African-Americans, 95% of us will come together and say, well, let's go to a bank and get a loan so we can bid for our property. The bank is going to say, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you own the property or not. You haven't established your ownership. So we're not going to give you a loan. So it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> wow. 
I, you know, if I if I can go ahead, Richard. Um, one of the questions, Mister um, Burrell, that that comes to always comes to me to ask. Well, in this case, and we're, and you're the the meetings that you you're having and the communication and, and you're you're communicating to those landowners and, and farmers that you know or what we have to do is clear and hopefully um, those who are out there listening, especially to the time for awakening. Um, you know, they're, they're recognizing they got to get down south and start working on this and stop playing, you know, especially in this era, era of reparations. But what, what comes to my mind to always ask, from your vantage point right now, who is the greatest opposition to this opportunity? Well, the greatest opposition basically is us. Mm. There's nobody can stop you from incorporating. They may not want you to do it, but there is no incorporating, uh, creating a corporation is basically the easiest thing to do. The stumbling block right now is a lack of understanding and a lack of appreciation for what needs to be done. So uh, there is not a person out there that can stop Richard and Thomas and Elliot if we were the three brothers from incorporating. This is something that we have to do. The problem with is within. Now, we may understand that the vestiges of racism existed, but it doesn't stop us from solving the problem. The solution, sir, lies within the African-American community. Mm. You hear that, Elliot? Ice. <laughs> Self governance 101, right? I mean... It's about us at this point. Uh, Mr. Burrell, uh, talk about uh, the initial meetings. You've had three, I understand, and, you, and you're working on the fourth, fifth, and sixth. But but talk about some of the things that was covered initially. What was I know some of the people's concerns was that they were going to lose their land or probably from eminent domain or other things. But you you had some attorneys there to, to work with some folks. Uh, talk about, like, maybe in the initial meeting, some of the initial concerns that they were raising? Well, the initial concern was a lot of people think and thought that, well, in order to incorporate, we have to get all of the cousins together. That's not necessarily true. Let's say if there are uh, nine heirs, and if you can get seven of them together, that's seven nights. Don't want to turn this into a math class, but incorporate with that. Circle back later on the two or three that may not. The other issue was most folk don't know that they can incorporate. They think that, well, in other words, the incorporation is you create a new name for the new for the entity and you transfer your interest to that. Interestingly enough, we had about 70 families at first. We had some families from Georgia. We had families from North Carolina, and people are saying we got the same problem in Georgia. <clears throat> we got the same problem in North Carolina. So it's just a matter now of talking about it. As I said, the problem in the African-American community historically, gentlemen, is we did not simply want to talk about it. As Elliot said about his friend from Los Angeles, it's just a matter of when do we start talking. The solutions are relatively easy. Corporate America has been around for a long, long time. We tell, and a lot of people think that uh, 
uh, there's going to be somebody to stop us from incorporating. That's really not the case. To Rich's point, uh, the only hindrance is our inability to communicate the urgency of this problem amongst our family members. Mr. Burrell, some of the, um, because you, you, you mentioned before, uh, you know, people maybe just want to warehouse different equipment on their land. Uh, people that want to maybe open businesses, uh, an opportunity to open their hotels or restaurants or service stations or, or, or apartments or, and, and warehouses. So are you getting people that maybe want to move back uh, down south, back to the Mason, uh, the Nutbush, the, the T -T Tipton County area? Is a lot of people contacting you about just coming back down and, and getting involved in the community in that way? Well, I think the overall consensus is that people are moving from the north and the midwest back south uh, back to north carolina back to georgia back to tennessee back to texas uh so yes uh people are moving back because as we said as the major corporations move we're going to follow the corporations the same way we followed them back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. We're going to follow the jobs. So if the corporate America is if corporate America is moving jobs to North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee, the people will follow. Therefore, to your earlier point, what we're simply saying, in addition to the corporate entity, let's go back to Ford. When Ford creates a mega site, they're going to attract suppliers, the people who make the axles, the people who make the seats, those corporations who make the windshields, the, 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 uh, whatever parts on that vehicle, they're going to be looking for space. That creates an opportunity for what we call the collateral opportunity, the ancillary opportunity for landowners. Now that means you can build warehouses but the property has to be free of defects. Now we can build hotels, but the property has to be free of defects. Now we can build restaurants and service stations, so forth, so on, and so up too. But we've got to get these defects because no bank is going to loan us money to create a warehouse, a service station, a restaurant, a hotel if there are defects on the title. Going back to your friend in California, they may own 300 acres in Mississippi, but is a bank going to loan them money on that property if, the, if they can't prove their ownership? The answer, of course, is no. But here again, to the extent now that these corporations are moving back to an area where we live, we have an opportunity now to be landlords. We have an opportunity now to be able to do more than put nuts and boats on the vehicles, what we did when we went to Detroit. Now we can be a nut and boat manufacturer. We can be able to warehouse their parts and provide housing for their workers. You know, listen, Richard, I know you're getting ready to jump in here, but let, hold, hold, I'm going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. Uh, you can get involved, too, by dialing 215-490-9832.
That's 215-490-9832. We're talking with activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association of Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Thomas Burrell. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on time for an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global you black family, to join your interconnected you black communities, Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, 
Do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of the time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Ralph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. For an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. It's coming. Mississippi Black Liberation Movement, Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, presents the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Building Power Summit, free the land, undivide, and reclaim. September 15th to the 17th, Jackson, Mississippi, at the historic Black Tougaloo College. 
portions of the conference to be aired on Time for an Awakening Media, Black Talk Radio Network. Calling all serious black power organizations, revolutionaries, organizers to attend this divine experience. For more information, contact Brother Patrick Lumumba, 662-560-5434, Sister Crystal Denise, 405-361-4751, and Brother Nick Bezel, 512-364-0050. That's the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, it's 8-11 here in Time for an Awakening Sunday edition. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association out of Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Thomas Burrell is with us, giving us an update on the organized meetings by the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association with the black farmers and landowners around the Mason, Tennessee area and the Blue Oval Project. You can get involved with a question or comment by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Richard, I kind of cut you off when we took that break. Uh, No, I was, uh, you know, I was... um Wondering, Mr. Burrell, the thought came to me when Elliot was um, going over. What, what is the average age of the um, people who have assembled at the meeting, um, you know, in relationship to this, you know, getting this information and recognizing the objective, which is paradigm shift? Richard, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's an interesting question. Remember I said we're at the third ring, basically, of the trade, so we're dealing with grandchildren now. To Elliot's point, his example of his friend who was from L.A., who has an interest in land in Mississippi. So we're talking about people who are basically from 40 on up to 80, as it were. Keep in mind that Grandma and Grandpa bought the land back in 1910, they had 10, 15 kids that spanned from basically 1930 on up to 1950, as it were. So now we are dealing with the grandchildren who were born in the 50s and basically and above. So we're talking about people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. However, when one of those individuals dies for whatever reason, their children now will inherit their interests. So you're going to have some people now who are moving to the fourth ring, that is to say great-grandchildren who may be in their teens or 20s. So when we have this family discussion, we now have to bring them in. And they may be even further removed. Some of them will have never been on the farm. Some of them will have never seen the property, as it were, but they still have what we referred to earlier, Richard, an undivided fractional interest. The pie does not get larger. The slices get smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the average age, and that is going to be, I would say, 40 and up, 50, probably 60s and 70s, uh, but yes. Mm-hmm. 
And and the other the other thing that was interests me, and only because you know, in social media, especially in what I'm calling the period of reparation, everybody's talking about wealth, wealth creation, and how the black communities lose could be losing wealth. And you're you're saying we're we're sitting on 25 billion dollars worth of equity that is locked up, you know, which is only can be unlocked by us, you know. And I never heard any of us in those discussions about, you know, um, you know, dealing with economic development and then talking about areas now that the auto plants are moving down south. You know, here is another uh, opportunity where not just the landowners but skilled labor, um, black skilled labor that is either there or will become it could come there. But the the question is that came to my mind was um, looking up HBCUs are in the area. Um, they could be helpful in the development of this. Have have they um, been made any overtures, especially in the Tennessee area? The, the HBCUs in the area it was at Tennessee State or 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 uh, FIS or Knoxville. Had they made any overtures in assisting as as an institution um, in trying to assist? and helping the landowners and farmers in there. Man, I hate you asking me that question, even though it is an excellent question, because I, I really hate to have to give you the response. Mm-hmm. There are certain overtures, but not sufficient and or commensurate to the seriousness of this problem. Mm. Uh, you got to keep it, but no, in a word, and, and here again, uh, it's unfortunate. You got to keep in mind now, that most of the HBCUs are going to be organizations and institutions who you know, are dependent upon the government, as it were, for finances and resources. Uh, they, and, and this is a taboo subject in the African-American community in general, and it's also taboo in cert- at certain institutions. There are churches, black churches, not just only HBCUs, there are black churches who won't get involved and talk about this problem. So, as I said, the, historically, it's been a taboo subject for whatever reason. And, you know, how do you explain why the African-American community is resident and hesitant about talking about economic development and wealth creation as it relates to the one resource that we have. As we said, we have over $40 billion that is for all intents and purposes in jail, locked behind bars. It's like having your uncle and your sister, your brother, and all of the other people in your family who are breadwinners in prison, as it were. Our economic development, the wealth creation is behind bars. And it is behind bars because of this uh, situation called air property. But we hold the key to unlock this $40 billion. But the reason we can't unlock it is, to your point, we refuse to talk about it. It is really that simple. We are not going to solve the problem until we talk about it, until we talk about it at the HBCUs, until we talk about it at the black churches the sororities, the fraternities, uh, until we start to talk about it, that money is going to remain locked up, Richard and Elliot. 
Now, I don't know, and Mr. Burrell, y'all don't know, and I apologize. I, y'all, I just got sick, all right, and I'll leave that alone. I just got sick. Well, <laughs> well wait a Richard. Listen, um, now, I was going to ask Mr. Burrell this question, but I already know the answer because he gave you half of the answer when you asked him was the HBCUs involved. Mm-hmm. Now, see, Mr. Burrell is not an elected black official. Mm. He aspired to be, but you could see what happened when they tried to pull the rug out from under him. He's not an elected black official. To be honest, Richard, he shouldn't be coming up with these ideas to have black people start generating wealth for their children and their children's children. That's not his responsibility, if you know what I'm saying. These black elected officials who we have elected to give leadership and vision to our communities— what, why the hell, why, why didn't they come up with this idea? Mr. Burrell don't have to, shouldn't have to organize the black landowners down in that area. That's, and I'm not putting it just on Tennessee black officials. I'm putting it on black officials, period, in the CBC and other areas. Because just like he just said, blacks own land all throughout the South. I gave the example of my good friend who owns 300 acres, or, or a little over 300 acres, in Mississippi. And, and, and don't know who owns the land officially. This stuff is a problem. And you got Mr. Burrell out here organizing and a track record of being an organizer, helping men do what elected officials should be doing. And I'm not going to put him on the spot because he might have to work with some of these people in the future. So he don't have to answer. I think we know the answer. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's, I mean, like I said, I've, and, and, and just to, to make this commentary, I hear, especially on um, the one area of social media, um, we're talking about economic development all the time. And and then to hear, you know, Mr. Burrell and and and, and we've been in communication about this. And and Mason has come up, but people are not recognizing the various dimensions when we're talking about build the possibility of this paradigm shift of building an economy based off of what we already control, which is the land, but it has to go through these changes of the air property situation. We're not talking about that as regularly as we're hypothesizing about a lot of other things. And, and therefore we are not talking about it when we're talking about other things, you know, um, Elliot and Mr. Burrell, it's, it's, you know, and these are, as you said, these are, Young people, um, and they're they're and they're not even pushing Elliot when they talk about whether we should be supporting the Democratic Party or or the the Republican Party or whether the uh the what's that the Congressional Black Caucus is doing with they ain't even talking about directing to this challenge that will unleash another generation. A, of an era that we probably didn't see, we probably don't, or we only know about historically. And some of these people who owned this land was there, and that's what was going on in the ni- early 1900s when they bought the land. Mm. Yeah, it, well, listen, it, and Mr. Burrell can speak to this issue again, and he did it before a, a little over a couple months ago. The difference is now, Richard, in the early 1900s, a lot of our people left the farms in the South and moved to Detroit, Flint, Saginaw, all those areas up there in Michigan. Mm -hmm. 
that's the city's still predominantly black. They moved up there for those four jobs, and they were standing out there looking for a job. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm not faulting our people. I mean, they did what they had to do. But now you got those plants moving back south. We don't have to stand in front of the gate now and look for a job. I mean, certainly the, uh, the job should be there for our people if they want them. But these companies are moving back to areas where blacks own the land. That's different than what they did when they went to Michigan and brought the, uh, and started that Ford plant up there. They're coming and back have, to areas that we control. Like, and have the electoral numbers when you ran off those numbers of 50% and more in those counties where they control the political machinery if they were working and communicating and operating collectively. Wow. I, I just had to interject there. I apologize. Ms. Burrell, uh, you could comment on some of the things that we just did, or listen, let me, <laughs> let, let, let me, ask, let me ask you this. Um, one of the, the, in fact, I think it was the uh, the gentleman in the clip that I played, uh, Terrence Cannon. Uh, he mentioned that his family, along with his brother and his father, had incorporated his land years ago, and they incorporated it with the vision of the the grandchildren and, and members of their family. Now, uh, he's with you in the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, um, had, and I know he's been at the meetings. Um, have the people, because I know that's one of their major concerns, have he uh, tried to help them understand that this is not, it might not be as complicated as they think. It's easy to do if we sit down, have a family meeting, call in members that have moved to other areas and talk about this and just nail it down. It's yeah. uh, it, just, you give me, give me your assessment of, of how these things are going. Uh, Richard, uh, Brother Elliot, to your point, there's an old saying that when it's time to do something, God is going to send the people necessary to make it happen. Uh, when Brother Terrence made that statement about his father, when I'm holding a meeting and if he's present or if he's not, one of the things that I would share to him is your father and your late brother that you made reference to that encouraged one another to incorporate their farm. Their spirit has to, their spirits have to be smiling to see you now here publicly, Terrence, doing and asking your neighbors to do what your father and late brother instilled in you. Yes, 25 years ago, uh, his family uh, and through his father and brother decided to incorporate it. And Terrence's argument is that his father said, I don't want to leave this problem to my children's children. Oh, wait, wait a minute. This oh, is d- what- Mr. Burrell, I don't want to cut you. Just remember where you are. You said 25 years ago they did this? They did this 25 years ago. Wow. Not two days ago, not two years ago, but talk about vision. They did it over 25 years ago. Now, when there was no Ford, where there was no Toyota, where there was no General Motors and Nissan and BMW, but they had a vision. They saw that there was something about leaving the land unincorporated, that the problems associated, and they wanted to leave, quote, unquote, generational wealth to their children's children. 
So, yeah, they did it 25 years ago. <laughs> wow. Uh, we see now that, uh, and, and I'm glad that you're having these series of meetings and bringing in attorneys to help the folks kind of go through this minefield because some some of the people, they might not have been aware of it. Some people, uh, like my good friend, his dad was paying the taxes, so they didn't think nothing of it. But eventually it's going to come a time where somebody might want to invest or do something with the land, and they can't do it because of this title being tangled up. Uh, uh, tangled, they call it tangled title up here in, in Philadelphia, but I guess they call it different things in different parts of the country. I went to a... Um, Gary Grant, who who had a chapter of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association in Virginia, invited me, and this was 10 years ago, me and the, uh, the former host that we had on Time for Awakening to a North Carolina, it was a land loss. The black farmers had a land loss meeting down there. And I heard some of the horror stories similar to what you're talking about, Mr. Burrell, where people passed away and they had uh, multiple brothers and sisters and uh, it, white investors would go to a brother or sister and buy out their interests unbeknownst to the others and then have a forced land sale based on that because they can't afford to get money to to buy him out. So he eventually buys them out or forces them to sell whether they want to sell or not. This stuff goes on constantly all the time. So I'm glad that you're having these meetings to Make the people aware that in order to take advantage of what's coming by the, 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 the uh, building of restaurants to eventually building hotels, there's people coming to that area. Thousands of people, not just a couple of hundred people, thousands of people are going to be coming there and investing in that area where blacks own the land. That's the key that I'm going to keep driving home. We own the land around that area. It's not like we're coming there with our hand out or hat out looking for a job. Now, can I say something right there? Yes, sir. You just made a point to Rich's point. Fifty years ago, we went to Detroit. We went to the shipyards in Philadelphia. We went to the textiles mills in Massachusetts looking for a job. All we had, as they say, was the shirts on our back. We didn't have any other resource but our labor we were not allowed didn't even know anything about being a landlord in boston being a landlord in detroit being a landlord to corporate america we were just glad to work for corporate america now the paradigm shift is corporate america is moving back to where we left but now we have a different resource. We have more than labor. Okay? We now have the land that they absolutely need to grow their industries. When the Ford Motor Company of the state leased the land or sold the 4,000 acres to Ford, Ford is an assembly plant. But all of their parts manufacturers, as I said, the windshield wipers, the gears, the axles, the transmissions are going to be produced by what they call Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 suppliers. 
Those suppliers are coming from South Korea, India, Japan, Mexico, Germany. They're going to need land to create the warehouses. Secondly, and more importantly, now you're going to need a place for housing, restaurants, hotels. This is where the black landowner now has more than just labor. What we're simply saying, going to your earlier point, the average age of these individuals are in their 60s and 70s. They're not going to go to the plant to work, but they have another asset now. They have the land. (laughs) And their land now will be available to create the hotels, the restaurants, the warehouses. But for the fact that we have to disentangle, what's the phrase you say they use in Philadelphia? There's a cloud on it. We call it a cloud on the tile here in the south. What was your phrase in Philadelphia? They, they call it tangled title up here. Tangled title. So we, whether it's a tangled title or a cloud on the deed, it's the, the effects are the same. It is unleverageable. It is unmanageable. And if it's unmanageable, it is unincorporated. And corporations tend to do building business with corporations. Ford Motor Corporation. Caterpillar Corporation, Northrop Grumman, the Defense Department Corporations, Morton Fire Call, they're not going to do business with an unincorporated entity. So we have to incorporate, as Brother Terrence said in the clip that you played, so we can, quote, unquote, collaborate. We can't collaborate with Holiday Inn, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, the warehouses and all of these other corporations coming to our respective neighborhoods now in the South, if we are unincorporated. Mr. Burrell, uh, when is the, um, because I know you've been having a series of these meetings. Have they been going on monthly or biweekly? Yes. Or, oh, monthly. Okay. So um, The next meeting is going to be held uh, September the 30th of this uh, this month. Uh, the last Saturday in September, we will be back in Brownsville, Tennessee, and we're asking members. Uh, there were people there from North Carolina and saying, when will you come to North Carolina and hold the meeting? When will you come to Atlanta? So we're going to be doing this because we have members. The Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association has over 20,000 members. The majority of them are absentee landowners kind of like your friend in California. The majority of our members are not in Tennessee. They're in the Carolinas. They're in Alabama. They're in Michigan. They're in Pennsylvania because they moved away. They still have an interest in the land, and that's why we call them absentee. They live in Chicago. They live in L.A. Now we need to let them know that the fact that you're in Los Angeles that mean that you uh, that mean that you don't have access to a multi-million corporation in Mississippi, i.e., a farm, a multi-million dollar corporation in North Carolina, i.e., a farm. We're going to have to start looking at those farms as corporations, <laughs> so we can leverage and unlock the billions of dollars 
that those corporations have but are right now behind, shall we say, bars. They're locked up in a vault called air property, and we can't unlock that key until we incorporate that property. So you said the next meeting is in Brown. Now, you had the meeting in Mason. Uh, have, uh, up until now, have all the meetings been at Mason? Is this the first one that's going to be in Brownsville? No, we had. this will be the second one in the Brownsville area. Okay. After this, we intend to venture out. We're going to go to Mississippi because people are calling us from Mississippi. We're going to come to the Carolinas. We're going to go to Georgia. We're going to go to Texas. Because here again, we've got the same problem in those states that we have. But you almost have to have a starting point. To paraphrase the gospel, you got to have a Jericho. We know we're going to conquer the other lands, okay? But Brownsville, West Tennessee is our Jericho. That is the place, this is the model. Once we perfect the model, get the principle down pat, it is going to work the same in North Carolina. And believe it or not, you have a lot of air property in Philadelphia. It's not farms anymore, but homes. When I go back to Detroit, when I go back, which is my second home in Michigan, when I go back to Flint, when I see the houses that are abandoned, that is because Mama and Daddy worked at Ford and Chrysler. They paid for the property, and now a lot of the children don't want to pay the taxes on it. So yeah. we have a, we've got a Michigan version, a Mississippi version, a Montana version, and a Massachusetts version of air property for defects on the title. It's as wide, gentlemen, as it is broad. Mr. Morrell, we'll, we'll uh, stay in touch with you to, uh, to kind of monitor the progress of what's going on. I know we're going to see the fruits of what's going to happen. So uh, listen, uh, the door is always open so you can come back and give updates uh, and, uh, on the monthly meetings and how things are moving. Thank you so very much, gentlemen. I'll be in touch, sir. Thank you. Yes, bye. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, I guess we'll transition into open form. Uh, you can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. to Time for an Awakening, Time for an Awakening, with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasting or live program scheduling. Hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. 
before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu Black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu Black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. Some of us are not afraid, but even though we may be elected, we'll say what's on our mind. But we must understand that we are freedom fighters first, and that all the other things come next. That I'm a black man first, and then a state representative. I don't confuse the two. And I think it's time for us to wake up and realize and understand that you got a lot of us that are willing to go to battle because of freedom will never be free unless we take it. There's too many of us sitting around thinking that it's going to come to us on some damn silver platter. Wake up, you fools, and understand this man has no respect for you. None. None whatsoever. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us? Or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. 
Thank you. kinds of victories that were won by the Southern Freedom Movement, uh, black people occupy far more establishment positions than they did back in my day, in the, in the 1960s. So in a sense, you also have a struggle with, with, with a kind of black establishment <laughs> that has a vested interest in the status quo. So you're up against a, 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 an establishment within the black community that we never had to face because it didn't exist <laughs> because of segregation and discrimination. And that makes their task, if they want to organize, much, much more difficult with respect to the black community than what we had to face. Today our people can see that we're faced with a government conspiracy. This government has failed us. The senators who are filibustering concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it, Southern senators, this is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. But this government has failed us. And government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program. Proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. It's coming. This is to be Black Liberation Movement. Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club presents the seventh annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Building Power Summit, free the land, undivide and reclaim. September 15th to the 17th, Jackson, Mississippi at the historic Black Tougaloo College. Portions of the conference to be aired on Time for an Awakening Media, Black Talk Radio Network. Calling all serious black power organizations, revolutionaries, organizers to attend this divine experience. For more information, contact Brother Patrick Lumumba, 662-560-5434. Sister Crystal Denise, 405-361-4751. And Brother Nick Bezel, 512-364-0050. That's the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network. 
the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 846 on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Uh, Brother Richard. Yes, yes, Brother Elliot. Yeah. Uh, interesting update from uh, oh. Mr. Burrell um, on what's going on and, and the, th- the initiative that he's trying to push with the landowners down there. Uh, and it's not like he's not from that area. He owns land there. So right. the problems that they're having, he's very familiar with. It, it would it'd be unlike me going there to try to talk about problems that, uh, you know, I, I'm not there. I might surmise what's going on, but he's there. So the problems that they're having, he's very familiar with it and very familiar with the solution for it. Right. Um, right. I thought it was interesting, the question that you asked him, Richard, and his response. Because it's not like we're trying to trash, uh, quote-unquote, leadership of some of these organizations. Uh, You know, your work speaks for itself. If you're not involved in grassroots initiatives that come straight from your community, I'm not talking about initiatives that white folks say that it's all right to get involved with. Or, or they help push it, and then you jump on board and get involved with it as a black uh, elected official. I'm talking to Richard. How when you asked him the question, because uh, 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 Tennessee State is an agricultural HBCU. There you go. And you got others around the country. Mm-hmm. When I looked it up, I mean, there's what Fisk, Knoxville, Lane, Lemoyne, Owens, and there was some other in Tennessee. And, and you know that this project is coming to that state, mm. the largest investment that they ever had since that state has been in existence, double the size of the Fort Plant in Michigan, and you don't ha- and you see. Where they're coming to area, and I just read over the stats, Richard. Let me let me mm-hmm. read it again, just in case we are that we our listeners somebody tuned in late. That blue oval that they gave city designation to, if you remember, Richard, when we was first talking about it with the with the with the vice mayor Rivers and all, it was just mm-hmm. the blue oval project, right? But they gave it a city designation now, blue oval city, and. That area that is coming to Richard is Haywood County. Mm. Now, hey, now Haywood County and Tipton County, they're right, just like he said, is across the fence. Mm. Now, again, for our listening audience that tuned in late, the racial makeup of Haywood County is 51% black. The largest city in Haywood County is Brownsville, where he said the next meeting is going to be. You remember that, Richard? Right. Brown, right. Brownsville is 65% black. Ripley, uh, Tennessee, which is another town in that area, 54% black. Mm-hmm. Nut, Nutbush, uh, popular because uh, Tina Turner was from Nutbush. Nutbush is 59% black. Then right over the fence in Tipton County, Mason is 72% black. And Covington is 52% black. All of these areas mm-hmm. around that Blue Oval City is overwhelmingly, I ain't talking about no just a couple of percent, overwhelmingly black and overwhelmingly black landowners and farmers. 
Mm-hmm. Politically, demographically, and in relationship to land. As a power the nexus, power. how much more do, do you, you need? need? Exactly, Richard. How in the Richard, you that make me want to cuss on the air. How in the, <laughs> hell, how in the hell you don't have these elected officials? And you don't even have to be from Tennessee to realize the economic. You talk about uh, uh, to how Tulsa was for our people in the 20s. Mm. And in the early 1900s, before it was racially attacked and burned down, you got a potential to have it greater than Tulsa. Mm. Because- I, you know, and, and Elliot, and it's the stratification, because I just brought up the HBCUs. Because when we're talking about the tangle and tangled uh, titles, or as we call them, you know, it's 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 about the lineage question. So here you get, which is tied to the reparations, right? Because we still will have to have the whole thing of your family, like defining your cousins. Who are your cousins? Then you get, where are your cousins? Everybody's talking about that, right? So the, it, it would make sense that the uni- those colleges would be a part of that. I mean, as a part of the economic development, but then he had to say the churches and you said the political representatives, that's a strata. That's obviously a divorce social strata. Yes. Yes. And and why aren't they involved? See, that's the major question, Richard. Why aren't they involved? It's not like they're ignorant of this. If you talk to some of them elected officials, they got family and all. A lot of them come from the South. They got family and all. They're familiar with this issue. They're very familiar with it. And politically, they'll be the first ones to tell everybody to go out to vote. Mm-hmm. Right? And now you have something which you can be vote. Your, your vote and your economics are now tied together. Tied together. And he said, Biden just gave them not gave them nine point two billion dollar loan. Yeah, he gave the Ford plant that money. Right, Ford. Yeah, and he's trying to tell the black landowners how they can capitalize and get some of this money because you own the land. Right. Totally different from when our people migrated to Detroit for the jobs. Totally different scenario, and you know I have to say, Elliot, um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to be. It's a positive. Uh, it's a positive in the way people look at things when we're looking at it from a economic perspective, in spite of the, you know, the this this thing with the, you know, legacy um, thing. But my when I asked about the oppositions because we see what happens in the urban area and he, and he laid out, we have the same problem. Yes. All right. We have the same problem with this tangled title, black, the older generation bought it. And, and unlike what he did, the examples of the South you gave with your friend or whatever, they kept paying the taxes up here. They did the your grandparents bought the property, but the parents after they didn't pay, they didn't, you know, didn't keep up with the taxes. Right. I mean, even if it turned into a lot, they didn't keep up to taxes. We, we have um, things going on. But the point what my fear is, 
even with the numbers that you describe, and we can look at South Philly specifically as an example to reinforce my fear. South Philly was a totally up this area was you could say the segment, which was a large segment of the from South from Broad Street to 30th Street where black folks live. You start looking now and you don't see that. What when 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 Ford puts this plant and start operationalizing it, where do you think who is the people going to be? Yes, black people are moving down south, but who do you think was going to start moving down there to get to get those jobs? Oh, you know, you know who's going to start moving down there. You know who is. But the thing, the, the obstacle, Richard, and it, it listen, it, it's, and it's not as quiet as it's kept because to those folks. The other folks, it is an obstacle because you mm. own that land. It's an obstacle form. Right. Now, they got to come up with strategies to get you out of there or get you off of there. And one of the ways they're going to use it is those tangled titles. Right. Now, I'm using that term because that's what they use up here. He said down south they got it. They use another term. Right, right, right. But the, the, that's what they're going to use. So him going to them, and, and Richard, that, that just shows you the need of our people. He said people are contacting him from North Carolina, from uh, Georgia and others, Texas, asking him to come down and go through these things with them. Why should they have to contact Mr. Burrell? He's not an elected official. They didn't vote for him for leadership. What the hell is a Warnock doing besides lying to black farmers talking about he's going to get them the money that they were supposed to get for discrimination by this damn racist government? What the hell is he doing? Running back and forth to, to uh, Israel, talking about he's going to be an ele- uh, the greatest <laughs> senator for Israel. I mean, what is he doing? <laughs> it's great. It's, it's, it's great. And, and to hear, and this is the other the other thing, that it ain't just Ford. Just, you know, that this, this transfer of these corporations, these automotive corporations with a new economy, same company, a new economy, they're going to build electric cars. But they're going to come, they're moving their plants down south. But, I mean, like, shouldn't somebody have been saying, okay, we need to get, we need to get right. I mean, shouldn't the 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 those uh, 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 HBCUs that we, we need to get money in order to be able to help in the economic development of the community in this area, even if it is as we call it tangled titles, we need to be able to lay out how they can be able to deal with the economic development where you have counties that are fifty-one and sixty-five percent black, so that they could be able to take advantage of this. But, Richard, the key is when you're talking about that, you're talking about sincerely organizing black people. Right. And that's dangerous for this white supremacist society and system that we live under. It's dangerous. Now, you listen, as a black elected official, you got permission from them to organize them to vote for you or organize them to vote for a party, whether it's Democrat or Republican. You got that permission. Anything else, anything else where you're talking about sincerely organizing black people for their benefit, anything else, you need their blessing and permission. If you don't get it, you ain't involved. 
Now, people could say, oh, man, where, where you, you blowing smoke. Where you, where you get that from? Okay, where is it? Where is it? You can't even sincerely organize to stop this violence in your community. It's plenty of people that have come up with ideas where we can stem this tide of violence, whether it's, it's Mr. Farrakhan, the Nation of Islam. It has been people that have come up with ideas, workable solutions to stop this violence. We've interviewed people who said that they have been working at it, but then when they try to get the money, they got young. That's, white that, that's what I'm saying, Richard. That's who what will I'm prevent them from getting the resources so that they can actually, and they live in the community. Anytime you talk, if you you talking about what you what they're talking about down there, you talking about sincerely uh, 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 organizing black people for their own welfare and advantage. So you're not going to get black elected officials, black HBCUs, and some black clergy to go along with it. And, and here, okay, I, you know, I got to I got to control myself in my language, Elliot, but to hear that these white folks obviously recognize, I mean, they, they, they went and pulled that, that, that they're talking to each other. What's that? What is it? Is it 4,000 acres? Yeah. In fact, do you want me to read that again? Now this is one of Mr. Burrell's colleagues talked about, because listen, when, when Mayor, Vice Mayor Rivers was on, they, she talked about they had purchased 4,000 acres. You remember, but we didn't really go into the, that, that, that dynamic of how that happened. Right. Well, let me read it to you again with, the, with the, uh, one of uh, Mr. Burrell's colleagues said, Terrence Cannon, in fact, the same brother we're talking about that incorporated his land. It says, uh, if we as black landowners incorporate our land, then we can position ourselves to where we can collaborate. We can collaborate as corporations working together, says Terrence Cannon. There was a group of Caucasian farmers that came together and collaborated. Joe said, I'm going to kick in 500 acres. Billy over here said, I'm going to kick in 1,000 acres. Wesley over here said, I have 1,000 acres. Then you move to 2,000 and 3,000. Now you got 4,000 acre plot through collaboration. Mayor Franklin Smith uh, I think at the time was helping to spearhead this for Caucasian farmers. They took the, that land, those farmers had collaborated and put it together, uh, the map that you see. And then they went to Nashville and they got the governor to okay it. The governor said, okay, we'll purchase that land 10,000 per acre. And then we're going to make, to market it as a mega site. They mm. got rich. They became instant millionaires because they collaborated. We've got to have a paradigm shift, change our mindset, start collaborating as African-American landowners to gain wealth for our generations. Now, he stated how they acquired their 4,000 acres. Yeah. And Mr. Burrell said they ain't tell no black folks. And wait, wait a minute. Hold it, Richard. And here again, who helped him, Richard? Mm-hmm. Who, who helped him? I just read to you that this mayor, Franklin Smith, excuse me, this mayor, Franklin Smith, helped spearhead the effort for white farmers, and they took it to the governor. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about, Richard. I didn't have to ask Mr. Burrell. He didn't interrupt me and say, no, no, Elliot, we're getting help from black elected officials. You didn't hear him say anything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want him to say anything. 
and the governor went to Ford. Went to Ford and said, that we, we, got we, we got a mega site. So here you got white landowners going to their representatives and they go up the ladder from the mayor to the governor and then help them acquire all of this money. Generational wealth. Now, I don't know. Now, Richard, hold it. Now, I didn't ask this for real. And I really don't care because it don't matter to me. But they formed a corporation, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think they leased that land to Ford for 100 years, 200 years? Or mm-hmm. Ford just bought 4,000 acres? Mm-hmm. No, I'm asking you. I think the state may have, but it sounds like the Ford bought it. If they incorporated it. Yeah, but I'm just, a, I'm just saying, I think that they might have leased it. You can sign a lease agreement for 100 years to somebody. Oh, yeah. Where your yeah. family keeps making money from them being there. That's the point. That's the point. I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. I, I, I don't, that's the point. I, I, Under that corporation. That's the point. Exactly. That's the point. But well, the, that's what Mr. Morell was talking about with the warehouse. Exactly. You maintain owner of the of the of the land. You build. You either have it built or you build the warehouses, and you so you don't lose the the control of the land. Yes. But they had their elected officials work with them, help them, push their initiatives. Where's yours? Where, where are they? And that's governance working. You know in order for economic development. And I have to say this, Elliot, too, you know, when, you know, I always, because we always talking about integration from a social, you know, moral perspective. But what Mr. Burrell is talking about is economic integration. The businesses that will be a step, that corporate entity with the, with, of land, well, is saying we want to integrate with four in relationship to the economic development. You got your piece. I got my piece. We working on something where we can both share and develop our piece. Mm-hmm. Now, who has a problem with that type of integration? Hey, listen, Richard, believe me, I don't think if Ford had their druthers, and in fact, if any of these corporations had their druthers, they wouldn't really want to do any business with you. Right. But they're in a situation down there where they have to do some type of business or dealings with black people because they own that land. And that, and that's why I, I raised the question about the urgency or um, the question about time, um, Elliot, because, you know, um, depending on how fast, and, and, and it's on us, how fast black folks did move to move towards that, that corporation process, because then they can move to the, the negotiating business as an entity. But if they're slow, and he gave us how they did in the past of how where somebody bought a fraction, a fractional interest. Mm-hmm. And took over the whole ownership of the acreage. If we move too slow, you don't think these 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 carpet baggers are not going to come down there to do that? Oh yeah, them most definitely they will. They making plans right now, and probably institute the plans already. 
But so like, we, we don't have time to be, you know, I mean, like the time, you know, people could be calling, but they got to be calling them cousins and whatever, and and being able to get them down there to say, okay, let's get this resolved so we can move to the next stage. Because once they get that, then at least they they got they don't slow them down. That may not stop them. But they don't slow them down, and then you got the people they're dealing with. They they already coming up on they pushing up on them for intimate domain, for that that uh, road. Well, listen, Richard, I, I you, I, I'm just uh, I'll wait till next month uh, have Mr. Burrell back on because he he mentioned about some of the other states that have. Uh, Ask them to come down there because th- this situation is a little different than what we ever experienced, Richard. Because it's not like somebody is, for example, you might want to say, uh, listen, I, I want to open a restaurant. And you're going into an area, even, even if you have business experience in the food industry, you might be going into the area and really don't know how you'll make out. In fact, when they loan you money, they really, they really expect you to fail. They said most businesses is three to five years, and then, you know it, it's a window there. But whoever starts some type of project, and especially black project in that area, is almost bound to succeed. Mm-hmm. Your people are already down there; they own the land, and you've got a large business entity that's coming there, mm-hmm. and all the ancillary business entities that want to do business with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's not a recipe for success for generations, I don't know what is. And, and you know, Elliot, the, the, the other part that um, when you talk about that success, because remember, Mr. Burrell was saying in relationship to just securing that, um, um, the, the, you know, the, the different interest to the land was that if the family members didn't have the financial wherewithal going to the bank and trying to get a loan, Here's another opportunity for black institutions. Yes, you have to be critical, but where they can be able to provide the capital to reinforce the ownership, to secure the ownership of the land to those who need it and and then build up that financial institution, playing the game the way it is. Now, right? Or... The law firms, because you, I mean, these guys going to, they're going to come for it. And they're going to come for it with a whole lot of legal shenanigans. <laughs> and yep. you need to have people on your, I mean, we always talking about Trump and what he's able to do with the police department. But in this case, you're going to have to have legal representation to understand how this works. And we see what's going on in, um, uh, the, the, the brothers that was uh, Tulsa, you see the legal team they had to pull together in order to respond. Yeah. You think that they ain't going to need a legal team? And you think that, that that's for, for black lawyers, black law firms, that they shouldn't be looking at? I mean, I, maybe I watch too much television. I play too, I watch too much movies earlier. So I don't know. You're talking, about, you would, you're talking about to have them go down there and work with the folks in the area. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's tra- it could be training for them. I mean, and not only training, 
but they'll have some type of stake in this. Right. They're helping their people. And, and, it's, and it's an economic, it, when the boom come, that representation, that, that service is going to be needed. They're talking about a corporation that's going to be deal, making deals with other corporations. That's the fees. I, I mean, I mean, you know, you see what I'm, yeah, I mean. That's when we're looking at. But if you have this strata, I, I, I don't want to. I can't. I, you know, it's like it's blowing my mind. I mean, I don't know what is. You know, we've been and and I appreciate you been. Um, you know, keeping in touch and, and as you said, you have been engaged in this for a long period of time. You talk about um, the ten years ago when you, um, and, you know, went down and 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 were engaged there. So for to get it's one thing when you're looking at it from a historical or in the abstract. It's another thing when you're looking at it from the people from the boots on the ground. And re, as somebody say, in real time. And I don't hear black folks talking about that. <laughs> there ain't nobody saying we got twenty five to forty billion dollars locked up. Yeah, well, like, you heard him say that they don't want to talk about it. It's like a taboo subject, along, and, and along with so other sad. things. How, how, how can that be? How, how I can see terror, white terrorism, being a taboo subject. I can't see that you got forty billion dollars, up to forty billion dollars, locked up, and only black folks can unlock it, and that be taboo. And like you said, that question is why would the HBCUs, the church, and the politicians be silent. What is going on here? <laughs> let me let me grab a couple of these calls that's been on hold, being and we don't perform. Let's see. Let's go to Mississippi six six two. Yes, uh, brother Elliot, brother Richard. Hey, sir. Brother Remover. How you doing? Man, I'm doing pretty well, man. Just listening to uh, the conversation. And it's spot on point, man. It's spot on point. Um, what Mr. Burrell had to put down, uh, as he always does. So um, I just always wanted to hear you, uh, Brother Elliot, and you, Brother Richard, uh, and what it is that you all do, man. That's why y'all come to Mississippi, man, so that we can uh, look each other in the face, man, face to face, and talk about some of these dimensions that our people been dealing with for years. So you know, I'm very attached in tune with the uh, Mason, Tennessee uh, situation. I'm thankful that we got people out there like like uh, Mr. Burrell that's doing what it is that he's doing because this is a day that happens all over the South. So uh, we'll be more interested with it, more intimate with it when we make it to Jackson, Mississippi, man. I just wanted to listen in as I do all every Sunday. Yeah. I'll stand the conversation, man. And you know uh, when I when we come down, I'm gonna try to find out from uh, my friend his family's name down because he told me. Now I've been knowing him for a number of years, and I never knew that he, that they own land in Mississippi. And that number of he said they own over 300 acres down there. That was left oh, to man. his that was left to his father. Now his father's 90, and the only reason the subject came up is because he was telling me that you know you know my mom was the uh, you know his mother just passed. And they were having conversations, right. him and his brother, with his father about, you know, making preparation. Not that, you know, they want to see him make transition, but just, 
you know, as, as you know, the right thing to do. And he said that his dad been paying taxes on this land for a number of decades. And he got two other sisters left, and they're 89 and 86. So I said, well, who owns the land? And he said, well, I, I think my father owns it because he's been paying the taxes. I said, well, that don't necessarily mean that he owns the land. It could still be in his granddad's name who died over 60 years ago. Right. Yes, yeah, so right. I'm going to try to find out because you, you move around the state. You might know the folks. You know, sometimes it's a small world. You might, you might know them. Okay. I'm pretty sure that we have called fans or we have exchanged in conversation. But I tell you, uh, Brother Elliot and, and Brother Richard, this is a very intimate thing because we'll find, you know, when we begin to have a conversation like uh, the real suggestion, you know, these conversations got to be had in church. It's got to be had in City Hall. It's got to be had in the HBCU, the black preacher, the black politician, the black professional. We've got to have these conversations. So, I mean, it's even intimate to my own family. Uh, since recently, uh, I went to eulogize our, our beloved Barbara Dr. Laverne Murphy, who has taught me so, so much. But he's right there from Bayfield, Mississippi, and that's my family. He is my family. And we have 278 acres of land, and all the heirs are up there in Chicago. You know, so now before he transitioned uh, from Kansas, he was transitioning that, um, that, 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 not the ownership, but the control of. Uh oh. Mm. I think we lost. No, Brother mm-hmm. Patrick? Yeah, we lost him, I see. We lost his audio. Yeah, but you, listen. Yeah, I think we lost it. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. But you, let, Richard, we just talking about this. He said his family member, the, the children are up there in Chicago, and he owns mm-hmm. two hundred seventy eight acres down in Mississippi. It's it's, it's this, is, this is common, Richard. This is common. And wow. the execution of the repair of that is to me where reparations begin. I'm so, I'm sorry to say this is because reparations of repair. This is something that when we repair, look at the wealth we create. Wow, let's go to two one five two one five. Good evening, brother Ellen and brother Richard. How y'all, good brothers, doing this beautiful Sunday night? How are you, sir? Uh, not too bad. Our praise be to Allah. Not too bad. I want to thank you and Richard, brother, for having Mr. Burrell on. I listened to his conversation. And just like Brother Patrick, who preceded me, it was riveting, man. What a good person, man. What a good person who's sincere and want to see our black farmers, see our people, you know, really, you know, move forward and, and really have true self-determination. And my and special thanks to Mr. Burrell. What a beautiful human being. We, I wish we could just take him and multiply him and duplicate him a zillion times over, you know. So that's going to manage the man is magnificent. And, you know, Brother Elliot, when you were talking to Mr. Burrell and, and you was having a conversation with Brother Richard, you were saying how you said the fact that Mr. Burrell wants to do certain things, you said it shouldn't be all on him to do it. You, you, I think you, you, you put the onus on these black politicians. Am I, am I quoting you at correctly? Well, I said that he shouldn't be the one spearheading these initiatives. That's not, mm-hmm. he wasn't elected by the people to be a leader. A leader, exactly. Uh, you're supposed to have vision, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, vision for the your your constituents, mm-hmm. your people, vision for mm-hmm. our people as a whole. He wasn't mm-hmm. elected as a visionary or a leader. Mm-hmm. 
But the, well, pe- the people that's already elected is not even involved. Exactly. And, and the reason why I would ask you the question, brother, because I happen to concur with you, because like I said, this is why, as you know, I had the conversation to rest the radio with that host here, and he's going to tell me that it's my conversation. Now, see, see, what you're saying to Mr. Burrell gives him more credence to what I was saying. You know, what the hell is you keep running? I'm talking about the people like the Eric Adams, the Jeffries of the world, the Mix of the world. Why the hell you keep running back and forth to Israel when your people, your black farmers, black people that's fighting for their land? That's what you should be out there fighting for. Like the ministers say on the clip you enriched to play, you should be a, a watchman in the wall, looking out for the people, man. But you're so damn busy running over with them racist Zionist Jews who don't give a damn about black people that you're not even, that you, you're done with the duty, man. Let's just call a spade a spade. You're done with duty at a time when they when, when black people can use your help out there. You should be out there fighting in that, in that Congress floor like Malcolm said. Nothing happens, happens on, the, on, the, on the floor or, or the Congress of the United States of America. That's, that's, it's, a, it's a government thing, not no southern bigots or, or northern bigots. It's a, it's a United States thing. So you fighting against them bigots that's holding out people back, that's still in land mistreating our black farmers so you raising hell, you know, beating the door down and, and, and holding them white folks' feet to the fire, you busy running over there to Israel. And, and, and then you use the same uh, analogy when you see what, what happened to our people at a time where black women still getting gunned down over traffic stops, man. Come on, man. Black women getting gunned down in Ohio and stuff. Black men getting gunned down in, in Ohio and stuff. And, and, and that part of Ohio, Columbus, where their sister got killed there, you know, had over three or four black men got gunned down. One of, one of the most egregious cases was a few years ago when the brother was coming home with, with a sandwich. He had just come from work and the white cop said he was a criminal but he was a, somebody was looking for he shot the bull, and, and the bull was, was so strong, he walked home after just being shot. I mean, this was, this, was, this really got to me, Elliot Nitch. The brother walked home after taking a bullet in the back of the chest. He, he made it home to his door. He, he opened, he put his key in the door, and it collapsed, fell right in the doorway with his Subway sandwich and soda in the doorway. You know what I mean? And he died. You know what I mean? So, I mean, we, I mean, we see all this stuff going on, and these niggas can run back and forth to Israel at a time where the people are clearly under attack, man. Well, you know, it's, it's a disconnect. If, if you remember, and I'm not mistaken, you, you can kind of verify it. Uh, the, yes. the, the brother in the Walmart mm-hmm. that was, that was uh, he got shot in the Walmart uh, looking for a toy gun for his son mm-hmm. uh, and they shot him into Walmart if you they, they ran in there I remember sure I remember yeah uh, to me a sure. rice that's in Ohio mm-hmm. yeah sure exactly I think that's he, right it was a couple that was a fell asleep in the car they was asleep mm-hmm. and the car got ran with about 60 bullets that's correct. Black sister and brother got killed. I remember that for several years ago. Then other case in Ohio where the sister got shot. And so she was, uh, it was some kind of incident that happened out there. I think he was fighting for another black girl and the white cop shot her and stuff, man. And stuff, shots and stuff. I mean, just, he did, I mean, it's, that's a, I mean, all these states are bad for us, but Ohio has been deadly for black people over the last several years, man. I mean, and it killed some, a number of black men and women been killed by white law enforcement. Notice I said white law enforcement because they were the ones that's been shooting our people. Not to say that some of these handkerchief heads, self-hating Negroes won't do it either on the police department, but that's, but that's what, that's what, that's what's been killing our people out there in Ohio. So these racist white cops and stuff, man. So I, so I bring this up, Elliot and Brother Richard, because with all this going 
going on. Like I say, I hate to be redundant, but you got your your congressional black leadership and your and your black mayor running back and forth to some damn Jews about some building some fresh with them diggers who don't who don't give a damn about black people, man. Racist to the core. You know what I mean? Call, call people monkeys. You know, spying on Dr. King, label Dr. King an anti-Semite. I mean, the list just goes on and on. But yet these Negroes keep running back and forth over there, man. And 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 and, and, and your, like you say, your black men don't call these Negroes out for their treachery. That's why because Sharpton ain't gonna say nothing. He ain't, he ain't Jeffries in no pocket. So this nonsense cause continue goes on and on while people are here catching hell, man. A, a black man and woman's life is in peril right now. Like Mr. Furkan said on the tape, black young black men are in peril. Well, I'm an older black man. My life is in peril too. May not be as in peril as a, as a young black man, but but my, my life ain't no guarantee either. Cause like I say, any any of us that can can be walking while black, driving while black, going to school while black, shopping while black, can be a victim in this country with the, with the, with the, with the atmosphere that's in this country right now. And so these Negroes are dressed and they're trying to change that dynamic. They running back and forth to some white Jews, man. It, it, it's insult to our people, man. You got that clown down in, in Georgia, Warnock. I never forget that, this guy, man. But like I said, this is personal for me because my good friend of mine, like I say, who, who, who moved down to Georgia with her, with her daughter after she retired from Cooper Hospital, she had the church she joined down there. They had a big fundraising for Warnock. They, they fried chicken, fish, everything, and raised, they took the hundreds of dollars they raised for that Negro and so he can, you know, successfully you know, run a Senate campaign. And what did the first thing that Negro get up there and say, I'm going to be the best Jewish senator for Israel? Man, boy, that, boy, that, boy, that made me so much. Israel, you just was elected by the black folks in Jordan, you Negro. We chose some Israel. Go, you want to be a, a senator for Israel and go, then go over there and move to Tel Aviv or something, man? Come on with this foolishness, man. These Negroes need to be called out for that stuff, man. But uh, too often, like I said, Alan Richard, you got your black media covers for them. They don't say nothing. So that's why they continue to get away with that nonsense. And it's about, it's about time it comes to an end. And it comes to an end now. Start calling them Negroes out and holding them behind their feet to the fire and holding them accountable. It's en- I mean, enough is enough, man. I mean, our people are going through too much in this country. Our sisters getting killed on traffic stops. Black farmers losing their farms. Black people losing their land that was that, 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 they, that, that was willed down from, gen- from relatives from years past. All this stuff is happening, and these Negroes can run back and forth to Israel. I mean, no, it's about time we call them Negroes out. They got to be called out. I'm sorry. They got to be called out, man. And they need to be held accountable. Simple as that, you know. But anyway, I, I, I said enough, man. I, you know, put me on mute, and uh, and I'll listen to the remainder of the show, brother Ellen, brother Richard. Thanks for your contribution. You're welcome, uh, Richard. Um, yeah. The uh, before we go, you know. Um, we mentioned uh, when we were talking to uh, Lynn Washington last week about the repercussions of the um, um, the affirmative action being overturned on the uh, at the end of June, mm. and it just didn't have anything to do with just colleges because these jobs are going to be affected. It might take a little while, but they're going to start going back to business as usual as far as employment. You remember that whole saying? I think it was in the 60s, the last hired and the first fired. You remember? Yeah. Well, and you shared it with me, and I want to read it to the uh, Time of Awakening audience. It was in, uh, now, uh, keep in mind, they're dealing with the July, I think the, the, the August figures come out a couple of days from now. So this was 
uh, they dealing with the July and June figures. Or July. Keep in mind that that affirmative action thing would happen at the end of June. It says uh, black unemployment continues to rise. The header says black unemployment continues to rise despite national jobless rates declining. Black unemployment jumped 6% last month, which is nearly twice the rate of white unemployment. Additionally, black Americans make up almost 90% of those who were unemployed in the U.S. since April. According to the report, black Americans were the only major racial group to experience a decline in unemployment over the... Excuse me. Let me read that again. According to the report... Black Americans were the only racial group to experience a decline in in employment Mm. over the past three months, setting a record high in March of 635 jobs. 635,000 jobs have been totally erased. Along with the declining job rates, black Americans were the only major racial or ethnic group to experience a net drop in employment over the past three months. In April, black unemployment dropped 4.1%, the lowest since the federal officials started recording data, and it was the first time that the rate had fallen below the previous low of 5% in March. But these numbers also reveal that black worker participation in the labor force is rapidly decreasing. The labor force participation for black workers declined in April to 63% from 64% in March, with the black male participation dropping from 70% to 67%. These figures suggest a number of unemployed black workers who have stopped searching for jobs. The black unemployment rate has been twice white unemployment rate since 1972 when the employment data was classified by race as the chasm has remained as the chasm has remained in place for almost 50 years advocacy organizations view structural racism as a major contributing factor and okay wow what a what a revelation but you see richard that uh the unemployment rate last month jumped six percent and the uh, black Americans make up almost 90% of those who are unemployed in the U.S. since April. So that was April to July. Mm-hmm. And considering that law, uh, that, that, that Supreme Court decision, 90%. You make up 90% of the jobs lost? I mean... <laughs> That, Richard, when you say that, that is, that sounds ludicrous. Even just saying it, mm. so you, you can see where that's heading. You can see where this is heading. Like I mentioned, I see, I see, I heard the discussion amongst, especially those in the tech field, how they're being tech and 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 certain management positions, how they're being um, displaced. And it's because of, you know, this, this Supreme Court ruling. 
Yeah, well, you know, that that's another whistle or, or, or alarm that wasn't sounded by uh, your leadership. What, what do we do in this respect? What do you do? What's your vision for us to do? I mean, as a leader, Richard, and something happens, and um, it, the people are going to ask me, Richard, what, what do I do now? If, you, if you're my leader, Richard, I'm coming to you for it. What do we do, Richard? You don't have nothing to say? You don't have no solutions? Then what good are you? I hate to say this, Elliot. Vote for me and I'll set you free. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Wow. Oh, uh, man. It's rough. Richard, before we leave tonight, just uh, give the lineup one time for an awakening uh, media Mondays, Wednesdays. And looking looking forward, we're coming down the home stretch. We'll be uh, broadcasting from <laughs> what, what Brother Otis to put in the thing there. We'll be broadcasting from the uh, uh, the Black Power Summit in a couple of weeks. So just looking forward to that. That's the 15th to the 17th down there in Jackson. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. That's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I think tomorrow, Richard, uh, Brother Patrick is going to be guest on his program. Oh, great. Yeah, that's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting topics and dialogue and guests. On African Perspectives, that's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on in the week, uh, Mississippi on the Move. That's the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi. Brother Patrick Boomer as hosts from 7 to 8 on Thursday. On Friday, Time for an Awakening is back from 8 until on Saturday from 7 to 9, the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James as host. And then Sundays, Time for an Awakening is back from 7 until well thank everybody for listening to the program this evening lively discussion as always and we'll be back on friday lord willing to continue on this path towards an awakening peace peace if you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Your children playing after school They seem to be so unaware I know, I know The things that they'll soon have to take care of